Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist. Today, we are joined by Dr. Joseph Pearson, Dermatologist and Program Director at the University of Vermont Medical Center Dermatology Program. Dr. Pearson speaks with us about turning topicals into over-the-counter medications, updates to the iPledge program, and the University of Vermont Dermatology Program. We conclude with some advice for medical students pursuing dermatology. Today, I am your host, Johnny Hatch. See you on the skin side. Dr. Pearson, thanks for being here on the show. Before we dive in, we would love to hear a little bit about your journey to dermatology. Can you just walk us through that? Why did you choose dermatology? Well, I would have been voted least likely to go into dermatology after my second year of medical school. Um, But I was in the Army, and on my Army scholarship, they feed us out to various military hospitals, and I was working in the emergency room. It was a small Army hospital in Virginia. And they, on slow days, they said, you should hang out with the dermatologist when it's uh, quiet here because he, he's excited about teaching. And, and I did. And uh, that turned out to be a, a young doc named Dirk Elston, who's now the, oh. the chair at uh, South Carolina, Charleston. Yeah. And uh, started to enjoy the specialty and went back to my medical school in Ohio and uh, I kept other specialties in mind, but ended up going to dermatology. That's pretty much it. Oh, wow. So have you always been in academic dermatology, or what has your pathway looked like up to where you are now? So I was uh, obligated to the military and uh, trained at the Cleveland Clinic in the civilian sector. I owed the Army 11 years and was in Louisiana. Uh, while at Fort Knox, Kentucky, after that, uh, I taught at the University of Louisville, which is a fantastic dermatology group, um, and uh, reconnected significantly with academic dermatology at that point in time, which was quite enjoyable. And uh, then subsequently, I was at West Point, New York, with the military, uh, and got involved with uh, the residency programs and a rule that I had with the Army, uh, with the residency programs at Walter Reed and San Antonio. Um, when I retired from the military, my uh, uh, ultimate goal was to someday be a program director, and it so turned out that there was an opening here at University of Vermont, and I rolled right into that fresh from active duty in 2013, and uh, I'll be starting my 10th year this fall. Oh, cool. What do you think draws people to that academic dermatology? Is it the research component? Is it the, the teaching component? I'm assuming it's probably different for who, you know, whoever it is, but what drew you to the academic dermatology? Oh, just uh, being infused with the energy uh, of the trainees. So yeah. uh, I always enjoyed working around uh, the trainees, even while I was a resident myself, and then uh, throughout my career in, in the military. And you had a whole cast of people you trained uh, yeah. in the military setting and I had an opportunity to, to do so. And, um, and to this day, pushing age 60, I... Uh, energized every single day by things yeah. that the residents and medical students say and do, um, looking at things from a different angle that, uh, uh, that I've often never thought of before. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on my OBGYN clerkship right now. And the first day we saw a delivery, you could just see all the, 
the students get so excited because it, it's a it's a big moment, especially for people who have never had children before. It's a uh, so I can see how the energy you get from how you get energy from trainees. Um, you've written several papers. One of them was titled "Topical Prescription Contrition." In this article, you argue that many topicals prescribed by dermatologists are low risk and easily self-prescribed. Um, can you talk a little bit about that article? What what brought that about? And then do you feel that like there's been any improvement since you published this article? So um, the, the residents will, will hear me hear my, uh, my philosophy uh, on a daily basis. Yeah. And there are many things that we do in medicine overall that are far more uh, of a risk versus benefit uh, in terms of having over-the-counter aspirin, over-the-counter acetaminophen, etc., compared to even simple topical medications. So topical retinoids, for example, um, sure they can irritate the skin, cause some photosensitivity, but uh, far, far less of a danger than self-prescribing aspirin or Tylenol, depending on someone's comorbidities and the amount yeah. of take. So um, one of the residents <laughs> was hearing me one day, and I had told her this before, and she said, why don't you do something about it? And yeah. that very weekend, I wrote that editorial. But the, the bottom line is, since that paper was written, it was the machinery has already, had already been in motion, uh, likely, but the topical retinoid in the form of adapalene is now uh, over the counter. Yeah. But it, it would be nice if more uh, medications were over the counter, and even systemic medications that dermatologists use all the time. About a decade ago, there was some consideration to make antivirals, uh, cyclovir and valacyclovir, um, over the counter just because of the countless number of people who could be helped. And, and that's an extremely, extremely safe medication, provided it's a, a healthy patient with normal renal function. Um, yeah. But again, I'd make the sound argument that the uh, those oral antivirals are safer than both aspirin or Tylenol, um, infinitely so, to tell you the truth. So yeah. the reason I'm passionate about it is patient access is difficult. It's a challenge around the country. And we spend a lot of time using relatively uh, safe medications. Uh, and we see a large number of patients prescribing these safe medications, whereby if they weren't coming to our clinic, we'd have more appointment slots for patients who may be uh, needing our services sooner rather than later. Yeah. What barriers do we have to overcome to make that more reality with some of these other medications, you know, to increase the amount of retinoids as well as uh, allow some of these antivirals to come through? What, what barriers and how do we overcome those barriers? Oh, that, that extremely complex uh, FDA mechanism yeah. that's beyond the scope of this conversation. Yeah. Uh, very, very challenging. But uh, if you look at the history of things that made the transformation from the prescription status to over-the-counter status, in my career only, uh, you have to understand that things like the non-sedating second-generation antihistamines were prescription agents. Yeah. So, um, uh, cetirizine, uh, loratadine, uh, those medications you had to get by prescription back in the day. Uh, so, uh, I think it would be, uh, again, something that would help access and would help patients overall. Some of these agents were just something to consider. Uh, and again, I think the risk benefit uh, uh, analysis at the end of the day would, would prove that uh, uh, we could do so and without harming uh, patients. Yeah. 
your point on the the antivirals is interesting how as long as they have good renal function, right? These patients that have poor renal function, they're already used to being careful with their medications because they know they know they can't take some some of these other drugs that we can that are over the counter. Correct, but some people have bad renal function and don't know it. But again, it goes back to aspirin being available yeah. over the counter. Yeah. Um, and, and we live and are comfortable with that as a society. Um, but you'd be hard pressed to find people who've run into significant side effects with oral antiviral medications outside of the realm of, of using it in the setting of poor renal function. Yeah. So you also wrote an article called we pledge to change I pledge, and it emphasizes the relative effectiveness of contraceptives for women of childbearing age as being a goal for what you envision the new I pledge 2.0 being, as well as removing requirements that don't really contribute to the main purpose of the program to reduce Accutane associated teratogenicity. I know there was a big snafu recently with I pledge changing and kind of overhauling their, their service. Can you speak to the current state of iPledge and, and does the current system succeed or fail in your vision? Um, yeah, that's a, a loaded uh, question, but uh, a very delicate, complex topic, but uh, it's, a, it's a great one to address. Uh, and again, we could go on for hours and days, yeah. but the bottom line is, uh, as with many things that our uh, medical system does, it's, uh, it's Far too complex. Yeah. And yeah. we spend an inordinate amount of time with the iPlay system, uh, that is the clinicians and our support staff. Yeah. And why I'm so passionate about it goes back to what I mentioned a few minutes ago with regards to allowing some medications to be available uh, and over the counter status is that time takes away from other patients who may need our services. Yes. So we want to be able to keep our access uh, open to as many patients who need dermatologic care. And we spend a great deal of time on an iPledge system, or our, uh, our team does. And uh, it's debatable how effective the system has been. Uh, when iPledge was enacted, uh, there was not a dramatic lowering of the unintended pregnancy rate. And if you look at the cumulative tens of thousands of hours that go into doing it, yeah. was it while? And you can make a, a sound argument that uh, it's debatable. Yeah. The uh, whole issue of avoiding pregnancy is extremely, extremely important. Um, but uh, the system that was put in place could have been perhaps far, far simpler mm -hmm. and focused exclusively on pregnancy prevention. One of the items that became uh, associated with it, uh, for example, the mood changes, that is a very, very controversial issue and, uh, and one that perhaps didn't have to occur with the iPlayage system. We could address that individually as clinicians. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. That's exciting. That's exciting to see where it comes, what, what, what eventually happens. Hopefully, it more aligns with your vision as things progress. Uh, we'd love to shift shift gears and talk about the University of Vermont residency program. So your main role is as program director at the University of Vermont dermatology residency program. And I was looking on your website and it talks about the goal and mission that UVM dermatology has for his residents. And it says it's to create residents who can practice independently, displaying clinical excellence in caring for both pediatric and adult populations, and have a strong grasp of dermatological 
dermatologic surgery and dermatopathology. Through faculty example, it is hoped that all graduates are inspired to consider serving as academic dermatologists or in medical leadership roles at some point in their careers. UVM Dermatology cultivates and prioritizes an atmosphere of mutual respect between residents and faculty. Now, can you speak to a little bit, how does your program successfully accomplish these goals? Well, first of all, I, I hope we're successful. That, that would be the, uh, the residents of our faculty to, to ask them whether they yeah. believe that uh, that's borne out. Um, but uh, I think it's just through action and example. Yeah. Um, we, we all uh, promote an atmosphere of uh, demonstrating our enthusiasm to, to teaching. Uh, and uh, we, we respect their, their feedback um, on a daily basis in the clinical setting uh, or when they sit back and look at the program overall. Um, yeah. But from, from day one, uh, as we have our own medical students here who pursue dermatology, we hope that they uh, get the feeling and that we generally respect them and, uh, and respect all that they have to say regarding their opinions and their, yeah. their clinical yeah, hearing you talk about your your resident who asked you w with your topical retinoid or uh, story about topical uh, prescriptions in general, that kind of feedback doesn't come from somebody who is is nervous or scared. It comes from somebody who has mutual respect, right? To say, "Well, what are you doing about it?" You know, what what you know, and that goes to show what kind of culture you have there at UVM Dermatology. Um. Which aspects of UVM dermatology are you most proud of? Um, I, I'd like to say that collegiality. We have yeah. uh, we work hard. Uh, we're determined to, to take good care of our patients, um, but we also like to uh, enjoy our free time and play hard. Also, yeah. So we want both focused on the mission at hand, uh, but we hope they're able to have a good time while they're here in Vermont. Also, yeah. So one of my life goals is to get to New England someday. I. I was born in New England and then left at a young age, and I've yet to be back. So for those of us who have never been, tell us about what does it look like to play hard in Burlington, Vermont? Uh, so, well, first of all, bring your coat because we had snow here on, I think, April 28th. Uh, oh. But uh, it's, it's a short warm weather season, but the, the warm weather season is glorious. Um, the summers here are, are very vibrant. We have what uh, some people call the sixth Great Lake uh, adjacent to us. So Burlington sits on Lake Champlain, which is 120 miles long, oh, wow. and it extends into Canada. So we're about uh, 90 minutes away from Montreal, Canada. And then when you look across the lake from downtown Burlington, you see the Adirondack Mountains. And most people who aren't from the area imagine that uh, uh, it's the Green Mountains of Vermont that are the main uh, Areas for climbing and hiking, but actually across the lake, the Adirondack Mountains have about 40 uh, uh, mountains that uh, are above 4,000 feet in elevation. Oh. And uh, there's this 6 million acre Adirondack Park. So uh, the reason I describe the Adirondacks is about a third of our patients come from that region. Oh. So it's a large swath of geography in northern New York who come to us as their main tertiary referral center. So the breakdown is about two thirds of our patients are Vermonters, about one third are Northern New York, um, on the opposite side of the state, uh, uh, towards the ocean is New Hampshire, and Dartmouth Medical Center sits on the New Hampshire Vermont border. So patients closer to that end 
and the Vermont Dartmouth-Hitchcock, uh, which is a, a tremendous training program. We have a lot of colleagues there. Cool. So are there like water sports on the on the lake there? Yeah, so people enjoy boating and uh, uh, hiking. Uh, some of our uh, residents have gotten inflatable kayaks and, and they enjoy uh, oh, fun. Uh, jumping out in those. People fish. Uh, and then uh, we mentioned the the warm weather. Uh, going into the fall, we have glorious color changes there. But uh, to really be happy here, you got to... Uh, people have to be open-minded about cold weather opportunities. You'll yeah. go stir crazy if not, but uh, yeah. it can get quite cold here for long periods of time below zero. Uh, but people enjoy uh, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing. Uh, our division chief is big into ice fishing, and uh, I've gone several times doing that. Uh, so the, uh, there's a certain beauty to the to the winter, yeah. um, but you have to be ready for the cold weather if you're going to enjoy Vermont. Oh, fun. So what kind of resident thrives at the UVM dermatology program? You know, besides having a cold coat, what, what qualities do you look for in a resident to, to be successful at your, your program? Oh, we, we look for people with, with nice interpersonal skills that can be uh, kind to the full spectrum of folks they encounter, uh, most important to the patients, and then uh, in addition, our, our support staff who we yeah. care greatly for. Um, uh, so we're looking for people with strong interpersonal skills. Uh, we want people with a strong uh, disciplined work ethic, as we, we talked about it, uh, just a few minutes ago. Um, but we, we hope that people will come here uh, and also leave with some fond memories of the, the fun times that they had also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think when people look for programs and what they look for in a program, a lot of times what I've heard from people is you want to come out of training well-prepared to practice, right? Whether you're practicing in a private setting or you become an academic dermatologist and you stay on as faculty, you want to be prepared. And so you want something that's rigorous, right? Um, but you also want to, you also want to live. You also want to go, go boating and on the weekend and ice fishing and out in the mountains. So that, that's good to hear that you have a good balance of both and train, train good dermatology residents. Um, we'd love to end by asking you some of your advice for dermatology applicants. How, how do you feel applicants can stand out on audition rotations? You mentioned being interpersonal. Do you have any specific strategies to help show that? Um, I know for me, it's sometimes it's hard because you want to be, you want to be professional. You want to, uh, be congenial, but you also don't want to get in the way. How do you balance those sort of, those sort of challenges? But doing, doing just that, I mean, we, we all understand, we've all been in uh, applicant shoes with regards to uh, wanting to impress people on these rotations. Um, but uh, just being kind to everyone. And, and again, that goes back to the, the patients and support staff uh, primarily. Um, so you want to be uh, considerate of them, uh, reflecting all the, the ways people have been brought up in general and just bring that to, uh, to the rotation. Um, but showing a genuine enthusiasm for everything in dermatology. Um, sometimes people want to say, well, I, I like this or don't like that. When you're uh, rotating through Durham, we hope people will be enthusiastic about every arena within dermatology, but it's not just dermatology. We like and uh, uh, emphasize that it's great to love many areas in medicine. And uh, it's refreshing to see people who are considering other specialties all along and remain 
open uh, to those other considerations because there, there are so many things to do in medicine. And uh, that's basically it in terms of who we're looking for. We tell people from day one uh, that uh, the best advice while you're on the rotation is to not be afraid to be wrong. And, and over the years, I've seen people stifled in terms of their learning. They're more worried about giving a wrong answer than they are sinking their teeth in to, to, to figure things out. Uh, we expect wrong answers, and that's what happens on our journey is that you, you have to get the gestalt and, and start working through it. So uh, I tell one, people on day one, uh, your job, number one, is to not be afraid to, to give wrong answers. I expect to give wrong answers. And, and uh, here I am 30 years in the dermatology or so, and I still uh, give wrong answers. So yeah. uh, we, we want people to, to learn and focus on that rather than being afraid of their performance. Yeah. Um, do you have any tips for applicants in this post-pandemic, endemic COVID area? How does the whole situation surrounding COVID change things for dermatology applicants? Well, it's been tough uh, with regards to doing away rotations, which has been uh, uh, unfortunate for us. So our uh, uh, team that screens applications is very sensitive to people who come from uh, backgrounds where there's, there's not a derm residency program for them to put rotation through. Um, but uh, it's putting your best foot forward uh, on the applications with regards to uh, perhaps having done a uh, derm project or projects uh, that can show up on the red matter on the uh, application. In, in addition, how you present yourself on a personal statement. Um, so uh, just as I mentioned a few, years, uh, a few minutes ago, that we want people to reflect enthusiasm for many areas of medicine. Uh, we certainly want people as they're applying not to reflect that perhaps they went into dermatology because it was a process of elimination that they didn't like medicine or surgery or peds, and therefore I found dermatology. We, we hope people have liked many things in medicine, um, and that should uh, hopefully be borne out in your applications uh, that you're excited about medicine in general because many of us still are about many avenues of medicine beyond dermatology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that common theme sometimes asking other people is, is how they loved all aspects of medicine and they loved dermatology because you, you got so much exposure to other aspects of medicine as, as a practicing dermatologist. Well, thanks so much for being here. Do you have any last tips or advice for students pursuing dermatology? Well, I, I will uh, emphasize a few things that I, I tell all of our uh, medical students here in Vermont. Uh, number one, keep every every uh, arena in medicine in mind as you uh, consider what you want to go into. Um, we've had some very, very good students who were considering dermatology who at the 11th hour decided to do other things. And uh, I love that they did that yeah. um, because that's what I've endorsed uh, from day one is that you keep all your options open. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'd like to think that if I was told to, uh, five minutes from now that I'm not allowed to practice dermatology for the rest of my life, I'd be shocked, but there would be part of me to be excited to do other things also. So uh, keep that excitement for other things. The other thing I emphasize is to uh, follow the mantra of uh, listening to everyone, but following no one. And yeah. what I mean by that is many people will give you advice and you incorporate all of their advice. And that advice may come from a fellow medical student, first year Durham resident, um, and that advice may be much more powerful than what you're getting from, from faculty members. Uh, so no one has all the answers, uh, 
both in terms of uh, coaching for a dermatology career um, uh, or for any particular topic of medicine in general. Um, so again, listen to everyone, but follow no one because we're all human. You certainly can't follow one person's advice. So uh, that's what I'd emphasize. Awesome. So now listen, listen to everyone, follow no one. Is that a Dr. Pearson original or is that, uh, does that come from a, uh, I, 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 cripes, like the residents make fun of me for saying cripes, but cripes, I, I don't think I came up with it. I, I found it somewhere, but I, I can't remember where I found it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much. We'll, we'll go ahead and put some links in the show notes to the, the, the UVM dermatology res, uh, Instagram page, as well as your guys' website. Um, what, what's the best way for people to connect with your program? I'm assuming uh, reach out to the program coordinator through the, uh, the website. Uh, yep. Yeah, you can reach out to our program administrator and uh, uh, yeah, or one of our residents, Santana, who's now one of our chief residents, uh, designed a Instagram page that she's proud of. So people can tap into that to learn more about the flavor of our residents and about Vermont in general. Great. Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You take care. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DIGA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to dermintrustpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 